Expedition 44 here again with Matt and Ryan. We are on our gospel series, and this is our last film, part three of three on the gospel series. We started out by just kind of talking through why the westernized American view of, let's say, salvation and the gospel is kind of just not a great view biblically. Yeah. That was the first film. The second film went from there and kind of broke down what exactly is the gospel, and we kind of got into salvation a little bit. And today, this is kind of part two of part two, meaning part three, and that we're going to take that one step farther. So first, we need to look at the book of Acts, and the book of Acts is often looked as kind of a, a New Testament church guide. I don't know if it should be looked on that way, but that's yeah. the way people look at it. And so we're going to see what Acts says about this, and then from there, we're going to really get into salvation versus the journey, the sanctification road, and we're going to break down a few things through there. And then at the end, we're going to present um, common themes of sharing this and what might be a better way to share. Mm -hmm. So let's start by jumping into the book of Acts, and I'm going to turn to Matt as he's our New Testament guy. And Matt, just kind of give us a snapshot of Acts and what this all looks like that way. All right, so Acts really takes place at the ascension of Jesus and the church going forward after that, the Holy Spirit being poured out. In Acts chapter 2 and that's kind of where we see like Peter's big speech and the thousands converted in that and so as we go through Acts we see like eight major gospel presentations so we yeah. see it in chapter 2 chapter 3 chapter 4 chapter 7 chapter 10 13 14 and 17 and people are always asking is it to Jews or is it to Gentiles? All of them except for two are to Jews. Okay. So the only two that are to Gentiles is chapter 14 and 17. We'll kind of get into that in a minute. But when we see it presented to the Jews, it's presented as Jesus is the saving king. Jesus is the Messiah yeah. that awaited that awaited king to deliver them. But that deliverance didn't really come in the way politically that they saw it. And they so all, that was the big question. They mm -hmm. were still Some of them were still grappling with this. Was this it or was yeah. this not it? Yeah. yeah, so if you go through, especially the Jewish ones. So if we just take the Jewish ones, which are all the ones from chapter 2 to 13, there's six of them there. Okay. Um, one of them is to Cornelius. I kind of can't count him as a Jew, even though he's a Gentile, because he's a God-fearer. Yeah. The other two in chapters 14 and 17 are two outright pagans. Yep. So people who don't believe in God whatsoever. So okay. Cornelius is kind of an interesting example, which is something we could probably do a video on in the future. And a lot of people don't necessarily start putting these distinctions in Acts before they dive right into it, and they get really confused because mm -hmm. they don't do this. And when you yep. kind of figure this out, then you dive into the book of Acts, it really makes it a lot easier to understand. Yep. So when we take the first, basically, 13 chapters of Acts and look at all the, the six sermons that basically the apostles and, and Stephen give in there, we see... Basically, the proclamation that Jesus is the saving king, that he is coming to reconcile um, the Jews from, basically, through forgiveness of sins. And we talked about that being the ultimate release of, yeah. from exile. Yep. Um, then we see, basically, the purpose of the gospel is allegiance, um, the purpose of allegiance from all the nations. Yeah. So that's kind of like the, the summary. So if we go through all of those things in Acts, the major topics... I mean, we kind of see it in the Apostles' Creed. Yeah. Almost. So we got, um, here's like basically a list of 10 things that are uh, Matthew Bates' list as he goes through these that are the overlapping topics between these eight sermons. Now, before you get that, you just said the Apostles' Creed, and a lot of people get hung up mm -hmm. with the Apostles' Creed. They feel like it's not necessarily, let's say, evangelical. Yeah. They get stumbled on a lot of the wording that mm -hmm. they think, particularly the Hades part, that, yeah. you know, a lot of evangelicals say, that's not biblical. Where, where do you find that? And all that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. But the, the crazy thing is when you actually 
break down the Apostles' Creed, it's, it's very biblical. Very biblical. Yeah. yeah. The Hades thing, really, Hades in Greek just meant the grave. Yeah. So, all right. So, all right. We can so keep going. going. <laughs> all right. So Jesus pre-existed as God the Son. That's the first thing that kind of overlaps between all of these. Um, he was sent by the Father. He took on human flesh and fulfilled God's promises to Abraham and to David. Yep. Um, he died for sins, according to the scriptures. He was buried. He raised on the, rise on the third day, according to the scriptures. He appeared to many witnesses. Yep. Um, he is enthroned at the right hand of God as the ruling Messiah, yes. so the Jesus the King. Yep. Um, he sent the Holy Spirit to his people to basically affect his rule, yep. and he will come one day again to judge and to rule. That's a great synopsis, putting so it all together. Kind yeah. of all the Jewish contexts have those themes in it. Some of these sermons leave certain points out, but if you take them all and smash them together, those are all the overlapping themes. Yeah. They at least have two, two that overlap in each single category. So there's a couple things going on in the book of Acts. Why sermons? Why why do we break these down and call them sermons? Could they be something else, people sometimes ask? They could be. I mean, they could be just conversations. Yeah, yeah. But they are set up in a way that when we when we hear a sermon, we think of it as truth imparted to us. Mm -hmm. And that seems to be the way that they're kind of set up in the book a little bit, too, as if it's like yeah. trying to teach us something mm -hmm. along the way. Yeah, so a few, a few notes here, I guess, that when we're looking at kind of these is the main thing themes are Jesus, resurrection, grace, the kingdom of God, and covenant fulfillment. Yeah, that last one's big. Yeah. And you started with that before when you talked about Abraham and David. And, you know, a lot of times because we, evangelicals in America, really don't have much to do with that old covenant, or most people think that, mm -hmm. they don't even like read those parts into it. Yeah. When you bring that into the book of Acts and make the connections mm -hmm. from the old to the new, it's, it's huge to get that connection yeah, with be, King Jesus. Yeah, we'd be hard-pressed to not find it in the first 13 chapters of Acts. It's yeah. all over the place. Everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere. Good. So, yeah. So, the second thing is things that are missing in it that we usually put into our, basically, evangelistic gospel presentations. We think it says this, mm -hmm. when in reality, it doesn't. It doesn't. So, yeah. the first thing that's missing is an atonement theory. Yeah. There are so no atonement theories. No penal substitution. No ransom. No moral influence. No, no nothing. Wait. So, hold on. All of these atonement theories, or a lot of them, particularly PSA, are quoting scriptures and acts all over the place. So mm -hmm. how can you say it's not there? Like, if you look at every single one, there is no atonement theory in there. Basically, the only thing that really ties to the cross is that Jesus died. It doesn't right. say why he died. And okay. usually the thing is that it says is you religious leaders, you political hierarchy, you killed Jesus. Okay. Not that God killed Jesus. So we don't see the PSA thing. What about what N.T. Wright calls a works contract? Do we see that anywhere in here? We don't see any debt language either. Wow. So kind of blows your mind as to the salvation message when we go back to Acts and all those things get wrapped up into the salvation message, yet when you study this book, they're simply not there. Yep. And now the second thing that is missing is the doctrine of hell. Yeah. Hell is not anywhere. And we, in the Romans Road, and the wages of sin is death, and we attribute that to hell. Yeah. There is no mention of hell, Gehenna, Hades, mostly any of that in Acts, so in the gospel presentation. This is a serious hang-up when we're teaching, preaching the salvation methods through hellfire and brimstone. Mm -hmm. Because Acts, who, that's what they're trying to do, yeah. is... Talk about discipleship and even yep. salvation. Yep. Saving souls. Well, Yet that. it's not there. How mm -hmm. can it not be there? So the big thing is, it does talk about judgment, but it doesn't talk about the method of judgment. It talks about the one who judges, which yeah. is Jesus. Jesus is yep. the judging king. He yep. will put the world to rights. He will bring justice. It doesn't say how he will. Hell is never mentioned in the way that we 
usually interpret it in the West. So rather than talking about that, it really deals with more of a response. Mm -hmm. what's, what's the response that it's kind of teaching, gleaning, looking for? So it calls for repentance, So which is a 180 is where yeah, we see it. It's yeah. so turning from your other gods to the true God. Um, it talks about allegiance. Yep. So like we use that often for faith. Okay. So it calls to come to that. It also does one more thing, and this is where sometimes people get hang up with is baptism. baptism. Salvation yeah. through baptism? Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> so we won't get into that today, but it is the allegiant response that if you have basically, if you have faith, if yeah. you pledge your allegiance, this is the way of showing that, yeah, this is my outward step of showing that, that I'm in. It's like saying, when we're an American, we say a pledge of allegiance to the yeah. flag, saying yeah. that, hey, we are, we are patriots for our country, right? Yep. This is the same way, saying we are, we are disciples of Jesus. And a lot of people get lost here because when I say we need to connect New Testament to Old Testament, they say, well, that's just New Testament. How does that connect to the Old Testament? Yet, circumcision, <laughs> yeah. baptism, they're all tied in there. Yeah, if you go back to our Colossians 2 class, I think yeah. it was, is where we do, I connect uh, circumcision and baptism and show how they actually connect. So if you haven't watched that and you're interested more in this topic, go watch, go watch our second or third lesson there on Colossians. And so baptism almost gets underplayed in the evangelical mm -hmm. Western culture because yep. they just kind of look at it as this fairy tale. Oh, you just gave your life to Christ. You just said the word. So now you need to make a proclamation. So all your friends know yep. this, but they're not really getting it right that way. Not necessarily. Yep. Could be a picture mm -hmm. of it, but maybe the understanding just yep. lacks a little bit. All right. So Ryan, when we look so the, all of this that we've talked about so far, some of it ties into the pagan um, basically discourses that Paul has, yeah. but the majority of this is to a Jewish audience, people who already have a knowledge of the true God. Yeah. So when we get into Acts 14 and Acts 17, it's outright Paul speaking to pagans who don't, who don't follow the true God. Yeah. So Paul uses this word that he becomes all things to all people. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? People get hung up on that. Yeah. It's not saying that Paul is like distorting things to, to reach people, but Paul builds relationships and he learns about his about the people that he's speaking to before he enters into gospel conversations yeah. with them. He he gets to know what they're about. Yeah. So that's what I think it's more more like. And in this particular situation, he's using that and the way that he does it to point back to Yahweh, particularly mm -hmm. with the yeah. the Jewish community, which is really kind of a neat model of how we should be doing it as well. Yeah, so Acts 14 especially takes our Deuteronomy 32 worldview. Yeah. So he uses that with the pagans in there saying, and even like we talked about in our Colossians series that Plato had this view of, of the Deuteronomy 32 worldview yeah. and I quote a couple quotes from him. So the pagans had this mindset that there was allotted people to allotted gods yeah. in the ancient world. And he does this without screaming out, you're a sinner or God's wrath or that mm -hmm. language that we kind of see used a lot more prevalently today. How does he do it? So example, Acts 17, Paul spends, we don't know the amount of time, but it seems like quite a while walking around the city, learning about the culture and yeah. the people so that he can build a relationship to know people. He gets to know them before he even has the opportunity to present it's the gospel. It's so relational. And if you know mm -hmm. Paul, you know that there's this expediency with him, that he's mm -hmm. like in a rush to get all things done. Yet when you come to this, it's like you see the slow down Paul for a second. Yep. So in his, basically, Acts 17 is basically Sermon on Mars Hill. Yeah. He walks around the city and he sees all these idols and there's an idol to an unknown God. And he says, this is actually like the idol to the tree creator that yeah. he doesn't have a temple because the whole creation is his temple yep. and that God divided up the people so that they might actually seek him. Yeah. 
So we have some kind of this interesting, also Deuteronomy 32 yes. view here. And there's some reconciliation mm -hmm. tones going on there. And then he actually quotes, instead of quoting the covenants and stuff like that, he quotes a pagan poet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He to, does this a few times. He, People don't, don't get this in the Bible. Yeah, this so is it's actually a hymn to Zeus, yeah. saying that actually the one who you live and move and have your being isn't Zeus, but it's actually this altar to the unknown god that you have, which is actually Yahweh. Yeah. So he takes the things that are true in their culture and points them to God. And we make references to this kind of stuff all the time, mm -hmm. and every time we do, I get 10 emails saying, you're kidding, I've never heard this before, so we need to make a video on all of these at some yeah, point. Yeah. It's pretty neat. Mm -hmm. so, so yeah, and we see Paul often like in Galatians and Romans and that being kind of like in your face, confrontational, very harsh, but with the church. Yeah. Like, so we see Paul as confrontational sometimes. Uh -huh. he's, he's writing these letters to kind of reel people back in or tell them where they're off mm -hmm. or something like that. But your point is, he's using in-house language for the church and he never uses the in-house language of the that when he's doing evangelism. Yeah, it's he, more just kind of this... He approaches with grace and love, love yeah. and doesn't come with condemnation. You're a sinner, you're going to hell, this, that, the other. He's saying, this is the God that you think you're serving, but you might not have all the dots connected. And then explains to them how it is. He builds a relationship yeah. and then he brings them in. Yeah. And a lot of times people kind of look at this as open arms theology, that mm -hmm. you're just, you're, you're kind of accepting where people are and, and then bringing them yeah. along. You're not so concerned of changing all these things right here and right now. You're looking at this as more of a long-term plugged in journey. Yep. Good. So that's the book of Acts. That's kind of a, a great snapshot uh, look at how the book of Acts frames out and connects the idea of salvation along with the journey and yep. the moments and things like that. And we just jumped into it. I think maybe at some point we'll maybe do a whole study on the book of Acts. That yep. would be great to really get into it a little bit. But mm -hmm. that brings us to the point of we keep asking the question, what is salvation? And is it a moment or is it a process? So you and I both take that it can be kind of both. Yeah. And you see particularly if you Google this, people are really dogmatic on both sides of the fence. Mm -hmm. I mean, you will get people arguing to no end that this is a, a moment mm -hmm. thing that happens, and you'll get people that just will go to their grave saying, absolutely not even, they'll even say that the moment of salvation is really not found in scripture. I'm just going to put that on them and say that the whole thing is painted as a journey. Yeah, we can see kind of both. I think the journey has kind of the upper hand. Yeah in pretty big way, but we yeah. don't discount the moment, the right. moment of conversion, if you want to call it that, or the, the prayer, the moment that you pledge your allegiance to Jesus. Yeah. So this is one of the places where I don't want to say you have to get into the original languages, but it really it helps. helps to get into the original language. And one of the things that I like is when I hear people talk about what God has been doing in their lives. And I'm a huge testimonial guy. Matt and I are part of a three-day retreat weekend that is huge about testimonies, about how God works through and through in people's lives. But there's a word for this in, in Greek, and it's uh, martus. And the word talks about being a witness, but people get this a little off sometimes. They think of it as, as just talking about their story or something like that, when the idea of it is that your, your eyes are being opened to the ways of God. Mm -hmm. And so when your eyes are being opened to the ways of God, you're telling the story that God has in your life and in the lives of those around you. And it's kind of opening up your thinking to this domain or the sphere mm -hmm. of God that is really what has 
the, the, the kind of tractor beam, the force yep. that's reeling you in to be a son of God yep. rather than an earthly, fleshly being. Mm -hmm. So we've got three tenses here of salvation. We talked about this a little bit in the last, last video. So in the past tense, we kind of mentioned that we see the blood of Jesus at the cross flowing both ways yeah. into the Old Testament and into the New Testament, you know? Yep. Yeah, and there's fallen principalities, and in the Old Testament, you're going to see these really rolling all over everything. That's the Deuteronomy 32 worldview, and we've talked about that over and over. But at some point, they need to be harnessed, or they need to be tamed. Now, mm -hmm. we don't really understand this. I keep trying to tell Matt this is what his dissertation for his doctorate's going to be on pretty soon. <laughs> but I want to see how Christ exactly defeats the principalities on the cross. We don't quite have all the cards so far, in my opinion, but we know that it's happening. Mm -hmm. The Bible's very clear that that's what's going on yeah. when Christ conquers them on the cross, but they're not totally defeated. They're yeah. not totally smashed. They do exist today. Yeah. They're just bound. Yeah. And so we're trying to understand that when salvation is used past tense, there's a lot of times where it kind of goes back to this and it, it kind of alludes to these being bound mm -hmm. as moving forward through salvation at the same time as well. But yeah. there's more to that to it too. Yeah, so um, that's kind of when we're looking at the past tense of salvation, we kind of get a bit of that picture, but we also see with baptism. Yeah. And in Titus um, chapter 3, 4, and 5, we see that um, baptism and regeneration um, through the washing and the renewing of the spirit. Yeah. That's kind of a picture that we have in in the past tense when we've been baptized. There's this sense of regeneration within us being being born again, being put into the family of God. Yeah. yeah. And so in that way, you're kind of looking at the word of salvation of how it covered those in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. And again, we don't really have all the understanding of this. And I've alluded to this in other films where I said, you know, we're, we're all of the Israelites saved. Doesn't, no, doesn't doesn't look, look that like way. No. And so we go back and we say, you know, past tense, it's salvation is referred to the Jews as they were born in children of God. We got into that in the mm -hmm. last video. And there's a lot more that we could discuss about that, but we just simply don't have the time. So the point is that when you see these words used, the past tense of salvation is oftentimes referred back mm -hmm. that way. Yeah. What about the present tense? Present tense, this is where we kind of get into our basically participation language, yeah. the sanctification journey yep. that, and, and we kind of, have, I mean, there's views out there, especially in, in Calvinism and I guess you'd say traditional Baptist yeah. type churches of this once saved, always saved. Um, but really that's more of a doctrine of Calvin and Augustine than it is of a doctrine that's taught in the Bible, yeah. at least in our opinion. And in the great commission, we look at Mark's record and it says, um, he who believes is immersed shall be saved, Mark 16, 16. So this flushes just that one simple verse, and it's even better when you read the whole context mm -hmm. of that one verse, but um, just, just those words right there, there's a lot of our friends, theological friends, that really kind of believe in a universal idea of hell. And, yeah. and so you kind of go down that road and you look at this and, and it kind of just quickly refutes that idea. And then you also have you know, some ideas, some Calvinist ideas of unconditional election, things like that. Mm -hmm. And it kind of puts a stop to that as well. And mm -hmm. so our Calvinist friends kind of have to jump through a lot of hoops and bring a lot of different things in to make this understandably read a little bit differently than the way that you and I would read it. Yep. It also clarifies salvation by faith. It's mm -hmm. a response of 
free will, it's responsive grace and obedience that's involved in the act of salvation. Yeah, we talked about the three graces, accepting the gift and gratitude, and then yeah. living it out, not breaking the dance in our last video. Yeah, so when you look at this term of the Greek word, there's two ways you can look at it. You can look at it as are saved or are being saved. And are being saved, according to most Greek scholars, is the proper rendering okay. of that based on, if you look at other lexical, the ways you would use it in other phrases inside and outside the Bible. So this is where we kind of say that continuous journey, the, mm -hmm. the whole idea that God has started this work and continues to do this mm -hmm. work. And the word for that oftentimes is salvation mm -hmm. that we see for it. And yeah. so that's where Matt said, the journey is kind of hard to argue because the words are very specific over and over and over yeah. that way. It's quite often translated pretty much in almost every time in the present tense being saved. Okay. so. Now we've got future, and I'm going to say tenses, because this is the most complicated out of mm -hmm. the three tenses. And there's, when you say future tense, there's actually almost two different forms of future tense going on here. So the, the regular fu future tense is kind of describing what we just said. It's, mm -hmm. it's both present, but then it continues to flush through yeah. the future that hasn't happened. And they're almost one and the same. Sometimes it's referred to as present tense and then you know this yeah the second sentence will use it in the future tense or the the present perfect like you yep. said and so they're kind of one in the same they're together mm -hmm. and actually i would say that that makes more of an argument for the journey that they're almost almost synonymously used like that yep yeah so we see this especially in um in first peter so in first peter i believe what is it so one, one, nine. one nine yeah we see that salvation is through faith but something that will be revealed to us in the last day. Yeah, yeah. And then he links it later in First Peter to baptism as well. Mm -hmm. So we keep seeing this come through. And people always get hung up with this. Why is baptism always followed this? And people kind of go, oh, it's either part of salvation. It, you, you must be baptized to be saved, you hear all the mm -hmm. time. But that's not really why it's followed up with baptism. No, it's, it's the outward pledge of what actually happened in your heart. Yeah, like so, you said earlier, it's a profession of allegiant faith yeah, and so, God's into the heart. Yeah, Pledge of Allegiance. Yeah, all right. So then we kind of get into this other uh, form, which is kind of the more future tense. And this is kind of an eschatological view of salvation. And this is harder to understand because there's a sense of salvation that's really not going to be totally complete until the very end. Yeah, we talk a lot about the already, not yet. Yeah. So we have this already sense of, yeah, we've pledged our allegiance to God and that we are participating in, in that salvation right now and that it will be revealed to us at the last days, Peter says in 1 Peter 1, but it won't be completely realized until our glorification at, at the resurrection. So the word that we see this is like a completed work of salvation. Mm -hmm. And boy, this people don't even get that that's talking about way, way, way down the road. That, mm -hmm. that they think this is happening. Oh, am, is my work completed yet? Are we there yet? You know, I, you kind of, I've heard preacher, preachers kind of preach that yeah, way sometimes. Completed work of Christ. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So let's get a little more specific. And in the basic sense of salvation, let's just talk about what that could mean. And so, again, we're, we're, when we say salvation, a lot of people say salvation, but what they're really talking about is sanctification. Mm -hmm. And so, yep. so when you look at the actual term salvation, what I think most people are looking for is this idea of 
where where did they cross the line? You know, at one point they're not allegiant to God. They're mm-hmm. doing their own thing. They're being their own person. And at some point their heart's going to change and they're going to give their allegiance to God. Now, are they going to stay there is another question. Yeah, we're called to walk by the Spirit. Yeah, Christ has completed the work and we are called to participate in Christ. It's this yeah. body type type language. So we got like the kind of the moment of salvation with the Ethiopian eunuch. Yeah. But then Paul himself and the talks of, or, well, the thief on the cross. That's yeah. a great example of, of kind of the light switch theology. So right. yeah, there is a way in it. He didn't have the opportunity to, because he's dying, yep. being crucified next to Jesus, right. to walk the journey. Yeah. So there is this light switch deathbed, I yeah. guess you would say, conversion thing that is real in the scripture. And I'm so glad we have the thief on the cross because this gives us that idea. And I have a lot of um, military chaplain friends and they talk about this a lot that when, you know, you're out on a battlefield, so to speak, and you're holding a dying man's Mm -hmm. hand, you need to get the quick message out to them. What what Mm -hmm. does the heart need to know to assert this kind of allegiant faith, Mm -hmm. you know, if that's happening? And the story of the dying, dying thief on the cross that, that tells us that this is okay within the Bible. Yeah. We're actually kind of called mm-hmm. to follow Jesus' yeah. example, and so that, that makes sense. But too often in evangelicalism, we use that as the primary mode of preaching the gospel yes. and not the journey. So we have all these examples in the Bible, and you really have one or two momentary salvation ones. Yeah, thief and the eunuch. And that's it. That's yeah. about it. And everything else is kind of more journey speaking. And so that's where Matt and I say you really have to see both models. There, there isn't this one or the other necessarily. We see in scripture that possibly because of the heart of God, we don't really know. Mm-hmm. And so is there this line, if somebody died right now, would they be with God? But in five years, they're going to take a, you know, a different role and they wouldn't be with God. This kind of flushes into the once saved, always saved discussions. But is this a line or does God kind of have a telescope way of seeing things where he's viewing the kind of whole life as part of it. We don't really have all the cards. We don't. We don't. We, we, don't so. get it. We, we keep trying to understand this and it's almost judging people when mm-hmm. you get down to it. We're almost trying to judge their hearts and the Bible over and mm-hmm. over says not to do that. Yeah. We, we often see a lot in churches, fruit inspectors. <laughs> yeah. So they like go. That. I'm going to have to use that one. <laughs> yeah. So they go and they look at the fruit in your life. And if you're not producing fruit immediately upon salvation, they're like, oh, well, it wasn't a true confession of faith. Yeah. Because they think it's an instant right. transformation. But we see with this journey thing, yeah, when you, like like the thief and like the, the eunuch, that there's a moment of allegiance, yeah. justification being put into God's family. And then we're told to produce fruit after that. Um, there might be some reason to raise some concern if you've been in the family for right. a long time right. and not making any changes yep. to become more like Jesus or yeah. live out his commands. So, of course, we should be praying for salvation for mm-hmm. loved ones, family members, enemies, people we don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's very biblically. But when it comes down to actually judging them, that's where we need to be a little more careful sometimes. Yeah. And, and I think that if you're just looking for that quick moment of salvation, this is where mm-hmm. you kind of start to approach people with almost an angry version of this. Mm-hmm. And we see that over and over and over, both from the pulpit and in the way that people uh, present this and this is in many ways why Christianity sometimes has a bad rap is it because it kind of makes God out to be a monster and makes people out to look like angry all we care about is this confession of faith we want to chalk one up to the to the column and move on you know mm-hmm. and that's not really what we see in the book of Acts and really not what we see in 98% of salvation type experiences within the Bible yep so really our purpose in this video 
is better methods and models of presenting the gospel and creating disciples. So Ryan, what are some of your favorites? All right, so let's identify some of the ways that we do this and we'll kind of talk about pluses and minuses. And yep. so for years, crusades and concerts have been how you've done this. Hey, Billy Graham's gonna be over here. You guys remember Rock the River? That went on for a while. Bring your friends, we're gonna get them all saved. And I, I grew up in this era and I brought friends and I did this. and. To an extent, it was successful. I mean, I remember, you know, not wanting to go to these because even back then I didn't really fall into that kind of way of thinking. Yet I brought my friends and blew me away. They walked forward with another 1,500 people and made this kind of proclamation of faith. Yeah, they can, they can work. Yeah. And so in some of those instances, I started bringing a lot of friends. And in some of those instances, it was a one and done. Like mm -hmm. these people said these words and then they were just gone. Mm -hmm. I mean, right back to where they came from, their sinning lives and everything else. Yeah. And you look at that and I just go, man, what a waste of time. And the scary thing is, is what if that's the one chance that, you know, they, they were opening up and you kind of blew it. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. a tough thing to think about. Yeah, it's hard. And like, because often they're taught that I'm sorry, you say this prayer, you cross the chasm, you're you're in, and you can't be out. Yeah. And then they go live how they want because they said the secret password. Yeah. Now, there's one thing that when we're talking about all these models that is always true, and that's you might not have the best methodology, but if you're a great friend with the heart of God that's reaching out to people in love, you really can't go wrong here. No, you can't. <laughs> and so, so even though we're kind of criticizing some of these models sometimes, I think the important thing is, is is not to really worry about it and just live the way scripture calls you to live. Just yeah. go out and do it and and you'll be there. So the other one is drama story evangelization. I, I grew up in kind of the teen mania years mm -hmm. and we would go to these third world countries and do all these dramas and there'd be interpreters. I did that with the soccer ministry for mm -hmm. a long time too. What do you think about that? I don't think they're 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 horrible. They're yeah. they're not. It's it's not a bad way. My wife went on a mission trip uh, two years ago to El Salvador with our church, and they did drama ministry and did dancing and that, and a bunch of people gave their lives yeah. to Jesus. And then, but the cool thing about this, they connected them with a local pastor. It's, yes. It wasn't a one and done thing. That's the key is a, is follow up. A lot of times we get these decisions and we don't follow up. Yeah. The key is follow up and discipleship. One of my favorite stories, and I don't have time to get into it now, is I went on a trip like Matt's describing and we went to this little village and about 18 people, kids, made this kind of momentary salvation mm -hmm. message. And there really wasn't a church around, but but they did some things to kind of start discipleship there. Mm -hmm. And actually later a guy went there and started kind of working to plant a church. And we found out many years later that this little church where momentary salvation, you know, may have occurred, that this grew to be this just gin ginormous, almost like mega church considering the third country that it was in. And God used it amazingly. And mm -hmm. I think oftentimes God does use things that aren't necessarily ideal for the way he told us mm -hmm. to do them. But if you have a willing heart and you're doing what all you know or what you think is right, sometimes God's just going to, it's not you, it's the Holy Spirit that's God just going to take over and he's just going to use it. Yeah. So, so we're, we're not poo-pooing the yeah. momentary salvation thing. We just are emphasizing the discipleship aspect yeah. of it here. No, I kind of am. I go back I to mean, the steps yeah. of salvation yeah. and Romans Road and I go, gosh, that's just so bad. Yeah. Now there's another one that's similar to that, but it's a little bit different. It's called chairs. Tell us a little bit. Yeah, about gospel that. and chairs. And I, I particularly like this one. There's, um, I believe it's somewhere in Colorado. There's an Orthodox pastor priest 
guy who kind of came up with this. I think it's Brian John or something oh, like that. Brian Zahn adopted it from okay. him. All right. Brian Zahn's more evangelical. Okay, I got um, He's got a church out in Missouri. That um, makes sense. But yeah, he and a guy named Bruxy Cavey from Canada, they're kind of okay. the two major guys that do gospel in chairs. And so they can't, they have videos where it, it talks more about Jesus's, God's continual pursuit of us rather than because of our sin that God doesn't look away and he needs somebody to punish. And I'm not real familiar. Matt sent me a link to it. But what I liked about it is I'm huge into the Old Testament linking mm -hmm. to the New. And they do that. They do that. It links the whole story of the Bible all together in this Gospel and Chairs. So and I was like, you know, just happy, happy watching this. That like, wow, this, this presentation of salvation actually goes mm -hmm. back and kind of tells the whole story. Mm -hmm. And where it falls short is it kind of does. It, it communicates that now you're part of this story, which is yeah. great because it's, it's a storytelling example. But it could have the same effects as the Romans wrote, or that right. the momentary salvation, and now what? Yeah. Okay. So that brings us to the next line of all these ways that we've shown they can get you to an understanding of allegiantly or in your mm -hmm. obedience, having a faith to follow the gospel message, as mm -hmm. we've been calling it. Yeah. But the problem is, it, it still cannot be a one and done. It's still a journey. It's still mm -hmm. this this kind of telescopic look of is your life with with God, with Christ, right. and so. When you're looking at it that way, a lot of times in Americanized, Westernized culture, we don't take the time investment with people to kind of shepherd, nurture, walk with them to see the whole picture. And it is true that they could get this through natural revelation, possibly mm -hmm. they could get it through if I give them a Bible and they read the Bible cover to cover, mm -hmm. if they start attending a church and they go every Sunday and sit in the pew and leave. We hope that the church that they're going to gives a full picture of what this journey with Christ looked like. But the unfortunate news is it doesn't always work this way. And some of these pictures of more momentary conversions, like I described earlier, leave people almost high and dry because they don't really hold their hands and answer all the questions. And then as people do kind of getting into it on their own, they decide to walk away after a little while. Yeah, um, and that often comes when people aren't there to answer the questions. Yeah. When they come up to something that might be hard in the scripture and be like oh well if god's like this then and they don't understand it right i don't want anything to do with this there are some tough stuff especially in the old testament yes. even in the new testament yes. so shepherds were huge in the bible mm -hmm. i mean you look at all the patriarchs and then even into the new testament there's a great there's a great place for shepherds and you got to ask a question why is there all this shepherd talk mm -hmm. in the bible you know yeah. and you go because people need Sheep. shepherds yep so we're both part of we mentioned a three-day retreat um, and we highly recommend this, especially for new believers. Even if you're a seasoned believer, it's a great time of refreshing, um, but especially for new believers. Um, and I just think it's it was a great way. We walked through the entire gospel story in depth throughout the three-day weekend. Yeah. And it really, I we saw so many lives changed. Yeah. Now, I've been a part of these three-day retreats for a long time, about 25 mm -hmm. years. from the t I started in, in high school, going to a few high school versions, and that kind of you know, burst into leading them and things like that. And one of the things I've noticed with these is like any other salvation type experiences, there's both good models and there's bad models. Yeah. I've been, I've been part of some of these three day weekends where I've left and I've gone, I don't want to say that was a complete waste of my three days or at the time, but they weren't great. Mm -hmm. And then you and I are involved in one right now that is really great. Phenomenal. Mm -hmm. And, and like, I just can't think of a better way than taking somebody that's right around that salvation line in their life and 
you know, bringing them and saying, just put everything away for three days and come walk with us. And so you do that most of the time. People, even a lot of Christians that have been Christians for a long time, have never totally given God three days of their life. And there's mm -hmm. something spiritually amazing when you yep. come to that place. And mm -hmm. so that's what we like. And one of the things that our group does in most three-day um, communities do this as well as they set up like a small group to meet with after that and our group the small group then sets you up with a accountability partner or partners to help accountability and helping your walk and shepherding and a mentor role if, if you need that and then it also continues to plug into local churches and a lot of the pastors from local churches are running these weekends and so mm -hmm. when people come back to their church they know exactly what's been going on and it I found that when churches start getting really immersed into these weekends it sets the whole church on fire I mean they're just all of a sudden you know they have the same mindset of, of servanthood and they're just ready to go that way so mm -hmm. I love that picture when you started off asking what, what what's the best mind that's what I think is the best model that we have right now to use particularly in the culture that you and I live in right now. Yeah, um, so much when we're, there's like we see instances of the momentary gospel presentation and there's a place and time for that. Most often what we see, I believe, is relationship. And yeah. this builds relationships, creates relationships, creates a, a platform to move forward in the journey with a yeah. band of brothers or a band of sisters yes. or a mixed group yeah. even. And that small group aspect, the churches met house to house and in small yeah. groups in Acts. So taking it back to the beginning in Acts, small groups are so important. So even if you don't go on one of these three-day weekends, being part of a small group that can encourage you, iron sharpening iron, spurring yep. you on towards the goal, yeah. that is, I think, the best type of salvation journey model that we yes. can see and we do see that in the beginning of Acts. And Matt, the church that you're at, that's how they kind of, their, their number one goal of discipleship is really through small, small groups. groups. Yep. And so we see that a lot in churches that they've they've decided that because it is outlined in Acts, that that's the method that they're going mm -hmm. to use. And sometimes it's maybe even overemphasized where you don't see the one-on-one -on -one mentoring roles mm -hmm. sometimes, or even worse, you mm -hmm. might not see discipleship activities going on from the pulpit or yep. the vision from the top because there's this idea that, oh, we have a small groups pastor and we have small groups and it's, you know, they're going to do discipleship. And so sometimes we even see churches that kind of leave the model in dust at times a little bit. At times, yeah. So that's yep. hard. Mm -hmm. Now, there there is other ways that we think is a better plan. And, it, it, and when I say a better plan, I mean it doesn't really matter. All these methods we've identified as they can work. They can mm -hmm. be they can be very good. In fact, uh, I mentioned Rock the River earlier. I had a friend that wouldn't come to church. He wouldn't come to any of this stuff. And I didn't really think Rock the River was the best place to present the gospel message at the time. But I brought him because he would come to a music concert. And so mm -hmm. he came and he didn't make a confession of faith at that concert, but it was the place that opened the door in which later he would. And now I look back and he's an amazing Christian guy teaching similarly to the way that you and I do this now. Mm -hmm. And so, That's cool. so the next place we want to go here is de depending on how you're going to choose to reach out to people and all those ways could work in different situations. There's, there's ideas that work really well. So we've got five points to this and we've kind of been describing them. So we're going to go through them a little bit quicker, but the first one is to explore through questions. Matt, why are questions good? Because it builds relationships yeah. and it doesn't, when you ask questions, it doesn't come off antagonistic. I, I know all the answers. Let mm -hmm. me tell you exactly how it is. You meet people where they're at by asking questions and you can answer them where they're at without starting a debate. Yeah. 
it, it also allows people's minds to be activated. Mm -hmm. It kind of sets them off to thinking, well, what's, what is the answer to this question? And then the other thing I really like about questions is we're told to be like Jesus. Mm -hmm. Jesus always asks questions. Yeah. Paul in Acts 17, when you see there, he's asking questions. Yeah. So it's part of apologetics, it's part of evangelism. Now there's a lot of people that just, they're not polished. They, they can't talk in front of a camera. They, mm -hmm. they get scared even telling anybody about God. And one of the, my, my second point is share your story. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't know how to teach or preach or they don't think they have that gifting, so to yeah. speak, or anything. But you really don't have to to tell a story. Yeah. And the interesting thing about stories is, especially when it's your story, there's not a lot of logically that they can pick on, you know? Yeah. Like when yeah. you're just telling them dogmatically, these are these are the, the, the facts of this other thing. Right. People try to get defensive and try to pick it apart. When they hear your story, it opens, like it breaks down walls. Yeah. And be like, wow, God really did that in your, in your life. Maybe he can do that with me. And I've heard people say things like, well, that's great for you, but that's not me. But then later you mm -hmm. see this is really working on mm -hmm. them. It and plants I, a seed. Yeah. And so... So I love stories. I'm a storyteller at heart. The the third one is to live out your faith. Mm -hmm. Actions speak louder than words. Yep. And boy, we just do not do enough of this. It seems like people want to scream from the mountaintop sometimes horrible things yeah. in the name of God. Turn or burn. <laughs> <laughs> and they're, they're not making these relational ties. Um, I play volleyball and sometimes it's really hard to be a Christian on the sports court, you know, mm -hmm. and I have to continually tell myself that like you know i'm not just out here playing a game but i'm actually out here planting seeds right now mm -hmm. this is important yeah it goes back to exodus the second command to bear god's name we're his ambassadors yes. his representatives so everything you do is a reflection of god in your life yeah and so we should live that out that's one of the most important ways of presenting the gospel is the way you live exactly now the fourth one is the most um scholarly i would say and i call it building bridges what does it mean to build a bridge with somebody Basically, it goes back to relationships. Yeah. So building bridges, it's it's having a, an avenue open and a clear pathway of communication to when objections come up to have a, a way to answer those. You have to know the person well enough mm -hmm. to know what they're really struggling with. Mm -hmm. What What is it that you're having a hard time with? And mm -hmm. I know people, Christians, non-Christians, that have struggled with a singular point of Christianity for 15 years mm -hmm. and it makes me so sad that like they don't have somebody to come alongside with them these three-day weekends we mm -hmm. mentioned i can't tell you how many of them people come to and they say i i i would have done this 10 years ago but i can't get past yeah, this. this yeah so it's so important to have basically a, a person you can go to or that can answer your questions in a way that you feel safe and doesn't condemn you for asking Questions. What if I don't know the answer to that question that my friend's struggling with? My professors say that I don't know is one of the best answers, and, <laughs> but they always follow that with, I'm going to look into that for you I'm and find, find out and get you some resources on that. Yeah. So you don't have to have all the answers up front, but you can be an answer finder. Yeah. And I have a friend right now that's been struggling with something for five years. Now, I feel like I'm at terms with what he's struggling with in my life. I mean, I could, I could make a two-hour video exactly what he's going through it's not my issue mm -hmm. but for him he doesn't see it the same way that I see it mm -hmm. and so one of the things that I've done is known that I've told him my views it's not really gonna help to beat him up continually giving him my views so some of the things I've done are I've 
texted him videos on YouTube when I get to him and I go, oh my gosh, this is exactly what so-and-so is dealing with, so I'm going to send this. And not in a way that, hey, you have to watch this, but I also address when that link, I send it with love. I say, mm -hmm. hey, I don't know if this is going to help you or not. Can you watch this and just let me know your thoughts on it? You know, I'm, I might even be, be kind of use it to, to ask the person for their help in that I'm considering using it for another video or part in ministry. Let me know your objections or what you think of it. Mm -hmm. And that way it really gets people connected and on track. Sometimes I've also connected those people with somebody else for lunch or something like yeah. that and said, hey, you know, my friend is going through something similar with what you're struggling with. Would you mind just having a cup of coffee with them? I think it might be good for you both to kind of walk down that road. And those those type of things are great bridge builders. Yeah. And I find in our community of guys, Matt and I have this this men's group that we meet with and there's just a ton of guys here and we've been through the trenches with each other it seems like mm -hmm. and these guys will do any, anything for anybody and I get that sense of servanthood camaraderie yeah. that when you're in a relationship with people like that you're all working towards the same thing and it's just it's amazing I find sometimes that like I'll, I'll get a talk about this particular thing and I think all these things I presented were like great and then somebody in the group shares something for 30 seconds and it's way better than everything I just said. Yeah. And I love how the spirit does that. Mm -hmm. So the fifth way is mentoring people and this is one of the probably the biggest thing that we say because um, we see the fallout with the voluntary salvation yeah. and people not thinking that it's a journey and knowing that they have, have to, there's an expectation to grow. Yeah. Um, and to produce fruit. Right. So mentoring is a huge way to, to get to that. Yep. Um, so like we said, with our three-day weekend, our small groups, we're connected with accountability partners and mentors yep. and that. So if you're a seasoned Christian and you're not mentoring some, someone, we strongly encourage you to, because that's what we're called to do in the Great Commission. It's yep. not just to go into all the world and preach the gospel. We often forget the second right, part of that right. is to teach everyone to obey God's yeah. commands. That is the discipleship part. and. Actually, the part most emphasized, I, sh yeah. I believe. When I look at the fruit in my life, the place that I see it most is usually the people that I've invested in. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I'm I'm not Jesus. I don't necessarily have 70 people mm -hmm. that I think I've really built yeah. into. But I probably got 20 over the course of my life. And I look at those 20 and I look at how they've in a sense done the same thing and it's that domino effect for kingdom mm -hmm. that that i built into them and a lot of these people i've spent the better part of years mentoring mm -hmm. and walking alongside now they're doing that with others and mm -hmm. i can't count the number it's not just 70 it's yeah. over and over and over yep it's pretty cool yep so that's kind of our look at salvation by itself and the journey of salvation and if you're looking for some easy quick simple word on how this flushes out, it's not that simple to us. No. We, we don't necessarily flush it out in one sentence, but the place where a lot of times people miss this is that we always come back to belief in terms of allegiance, in terms mm -hmm. of obedience, in terms of your your inner heart, yeah. your core, your nefesh. Mm -hmm. That's really what it means. So when you're looking at salvation, when you're looking at the journey of life, I want you to really consider how all these things work together and are tied in. Follow your heart. Let God guide you. Let the Spirit lead you into where he's calling you and how he's calling you to lead. And just use the tools that he has simply given you to do that. May God bless you and keep you.